we are in this series, week two now, called Dangerous Prayers. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do in this series, in us and through us. We talked last week that, you know, in our lives, in the Christian journey, we have these kind of marked moments. Whether it's a mission trip, maybe it's a retreat, a sermon series, where we look back on our faith journey and we can mark these moments where God did something in us. That God took us to a, the next level, that God stretched us. And my hope, my prayer, my belief is that this series will be one of those marked moments for many of you. Whether it's one of the messages, whether it's at our, our vision night, or we talked about on Friday how we are helping launch a new ministry of freedom culture, uh, Justin and Rihanna. Maybe it's one of these events or one of these nights or, or through the 21 days of prayer. I believe my hope is that God's going to do something in your life. And I believe that this one, you are not here by accident. That God has something for you that in spite of my imperfections and inadequacies, my prayer is that God will speak through me to what exactly you need from him today. Uh, before we dive into today's message, uh, if you feel so inclined, you can stretch your hand out to God. And we're just going to pray together and just say and ask to receive something from him today. God, thank you that you are here. So God, we pray that you just open our eyes, open our hearts to see you, to see how you are working, to listen to your voice. God, I pray that you would be speaking in and around and through my words, that these would be your words, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking exactly what everyone in this room needs to hear. God, I thank you that you are faithful. And in spite of our flaws and imperfections, God, you say that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we are called, that we are adopted. Thank you. Thank you, God. I ask, Lord, that your words, your truth, would just wash over us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today, as we look at one of these dangerous prayers, we're going to go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. We actually spent our first year as a church in the book of Genesis, because I thought, hey, what better way to start than with the first book of the Bible? The last Sunday, we talked about a dangerous prayer found in Psalm 139, saying, God, search me and know my anxious thoughts. We talked about how we want to pray, God, search our hearts, reveal to us our fears, and then teach us how to let go of those things, how, how to uh, receive from God what he wants us to give, how to let go of our fears, to uh, ask God to reveal our sins so that we can then receive forgiveness and healing. Because none of us are perfect. But God, in his infinite grace and love, reaches out to us, love and grace. Today, our dangerous prayer we're going to pray is, God, change me. See, January, I think a lot of us, we, we, we like change. And see, some of us, oh, no one likes change. Well, we like change as long as kind of we get to say what and how that change is, right? We like to change our hairstyles. We like to move around our rooms, kind of rearrange things. January is a great time to change some things up. Maybe you have some resolutions or whatever it might be. But we say, hey, as important as it is to focus on our physical health and financial health and, and relationship health, we want to go into 2019 intentionally with a plan to grow in holiness, intentionally to grow spiritually to know God. That it won't just happen by accident. And so this is a very dangerous prayer to say, okay, God, I'm not content with my relationship with you. 
I want to go deeper. And to do that, I'm going to need you to change me. So we're going to be praying, God, change me. And as I was thinking this week, and I, and I was praying about God, you know, where, you know, where is a great story from the Bible? Where we can just relate to that. And one of my favorite guys in the Bible is a, a man named Jacob. Uh, and so we're going to look at the life of Jacob. And Jacob was a trickster, a liar, a deceiver. But we see that if Jacob can, if God can use someone like Jacob, then perhaps there's hope for you and me as well. That God can use anyone. But we're going to look at the story of, of Jacob wrestling with God. And maybe if you grew up in the church, this is kind of a well-known story. But we're going to look maybe at it in a different way. Maybe this morning, if you came in, maybe you're wrestling with something. Maybe there's a decision you have to make. Maybe there's some relationship that there's just some tension there, and you, you are wrestling with that. Maybe a decision about your career or, or what you're going to do with your kids. We're going to look at Jacob wrestling with God. It's actually not the first time Jacob wrestles with someone. Before Jacob was even born, the Bible tells us that he was wrestling with his twin brother inside his mother's womb. I picture his mom, Rebecca, going in, you know, for their 20-week ultrasounds. And, you know, the midwife's like, congratulations, you have twins. Like, what? And it's like, and they're already wrestling inside their womb. And Jacob's brother, Esau, comes out first. And he's all red and hairy, the Bible tells us. I love that. What a great description. And then Jacob is born, holding on to his brother's heel. Like, no, I don't want to be second. And because of that, he gets the name Jacob, which means heel grabber or deceiver. And as we grow up, man, those boys are so different. And Jacob ends up betraying his brother and steals his brother's birthright and, and, and steals his, his blind dad's blessing by pretending to be Esau. Well, Esau's pretty ticked up, and his response is that he wants to kill Jacob. And so Jacob has to run away with his life. After 20 years of running away from his brother Esau, God tells Jacob, all right, it's time to go back to your own family. It's time to face what you did to Esau. And on his way back home, that's when he ends up wrestling with God. Now, how old do you think Jacob is when he's wrestling with God? Maybe, maybe you grew up in church in Sunday school and you had a flannel black wrap. How many of you guys had flannel wrap? Flannel wrap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you see Jacob wrestling with God. You know, I used to picture him like 25 years old. He's actually closer to 100 years old. Like, he's an old dude this time. He's got some mileage on his bones. Like, that's probably why his hip popped out of joint, you know, because he's a little bit older. But all of Jacob's life, he's been grabbing on things. He's been grasping and grabbing for wealth and status and power. And that's just made a wreck of his life. But now, we're going to see something that's going to grab hold of Jacob. That's what happens when grace comes into our life. And Jacob's going to overcome great conflict to finally get what he's always needed, but didn't know it. And so after 20 years of avoiding conflict with his brother, and living 500 miles away from home, God told Jacob, hey, stop working for your crooked father-in-law and return home. The problem is, again, the last time Jacob saw Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. Like, if someone is kind of depressed and manic, and the way that they calm themselves down is planning ways to kill you, like, oh, I'm going to hang him, no, I'm going to poison him, no, I'm going to stab him, no, I'm going to run him over with my dual exhaust camel, right? Like, that's not a good thing. And, and as far as Jacob knows, that's what Esau's been doing for 20 years. And so he is nervous. So let's pick up our story in Genesis 32, verse 1. 
Jacob went on his way, left his father and mom behind him. And the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's king. So he called the name of that place Mahanam. Now, this seems a little understated to me. Like, he's like, All right, some angels show up. I'm just going to name it this certain place. Like, I should office out of Starbucks. If some angels show up on Starbucks, you better believe I'd make a big deal of it. Like, you know, I'm going to be Instagramming, hashtagging it, like, Facebook Live. Like, look at what, there's some angels here. But apparently, I don't know. It's not a big deal to him. Verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. Over the last 20 years, Jacob has become very wealthy. He's got a big posse now. He's got full of bling. But we see Jacob is still manipulated. He's going to send these messengers with all these gifts to try to smooth things over with his very hairy, very manly brother, who as far as he knows wants to kill him. Now, notice the language here. He calls his brother Lord. Like, I didn't grow up with brothers, but my best friend Dan had three brothers, and I know there's some brothers in the room, like, I ain't never heard them call their brother Lord. Right, Samuel? Like, you ever call Carson Lord? Like, no, right? So that means Jacob is pretty nervous about Esau. Plus he tells him, I got all this wealth now. He's like, please don't kill me. I'll make it worth your while. I'm a rich man now. Like, that's what basically Jacob is trying to tell Esau. Verse 6, and the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Well, that's a bad day right there, right? Like, it's one thing for your TikTok brother to come, but he's got 400 men with him. It's not, not like 400 flower girls, right? 400 men. He's like, oh no, my brother has been spending all his time building up his own personal army. Like, oh no, is this a welcome party or is this a war party? Like, he's not sure. Verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He, he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds of camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks him, and the camp that is left will escape. He basically just divide all his stuff and his 11 sons and, and one daughter into two groups, thinking, if Esau attacks one, then at least I'll have the other half left. We're a great dad, right? But we're going to see God is going to change Jacob. That's my hope for each and every one of us, is that we pray this very dangerous prayer. God, change me. I don't want to be the same way that I walked in and that I started in 2019. God, change me to be more like you. And I may have to switch microphones. <laughs> so as we're looking ahead, there's three things I'm seeing we're, we're going we're gonna to see what Jacob does. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes, write this down. Number one, we're going to see that Jacob starts with prayer. That he starts with prayer. Now, Jacob is going to pray. This is a very significant event. See, prayer is not mentioned much in the book of Genesis. Uh, we see that Abraham prayed for his no-good nephew, Lot. And Isaac prayed for his barren wife, Rebecca, to have a child. And that's really mostly it in the book of Genesis up until now. And up until now in Jacob's life, God has shown up and God has initiated contact with Jacob. But now, we're really going to see the first time Jacob's going to take that step and reach out to God. Now, some of you here today may not be very comfortable praying. You need to know that prayer takes practice. Prayer takes practice. Prayer is a lot like driving a stick shift or playing guitar or making babies. Like, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get in doing it. That's prayer. 
Prayer takes practice. If prayer feels awkward and you don't know how to talk to God, like just start. Start talking to him. And as you do it, you'll get, you'll, you'll get more comfortable in that. You'll, you'll, you'll feel just more comfortable talking to God. And, and just, but it's okay to start praying. Maybe you don't pray much out loud. You want to start uh, during our 21 days of mistake. Like, hey, God, I feel awkward talking. I, I don't know. Help, help me to grow in this. Just start somewhere. Because prayer takes practice. Jacob, he's not a guy accustomed to waiting on God. He's a guy who is, is self-reliant, who he makes things happen. He's a manipulator. He's used to deceiving people. But he's finally at a place where he realized he can't do that. He finally realized all his past is caught up in him. And he's saying, God, I need you to show up. Maybe you've reached that point where you've been getting by your talent, your looks, your abilities. And, and, and you hit the end of your line, and you're like, God, I can't do this anymore. I don't have the answers. God, I need you to show up. So Jacob starts off his prayer by acknowledging who God is, and that God's been faithful to his grandfather and father. And that's, that's a good pattern to pray when you start to pray. So we're going to look at kind of how he prays, and, and this is just a pattern you might want to use as, on these 21 days to pray. Number one, acknowledge who God is. Acknowledge who God is. When you start to pray, just, just pray, God, you are my Father. You are my Creator, my Redeemer. God, you are so big. God, you are amazing. Verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. Jacob starts off by acknowledging, hey, you are the God who is faithful to my father. You are the God who is faithful to my grandfather. You have been speaking to me. You have been taking care of me. Acknowledge who God is. Number two, thank God for his blessings. Start out by thanking God for his blessings. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servants. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, the river, and now I've become two camps. He's praying, hey God, over 20 years ago when I was a homeless single man, and all my possessions added up to just a stick. Like, that's not a lot, right? Like, you can find a stick anywhere. And now he has, like, all these kids and a couple wives. We won't get into that. But he's got, you know, like, the swagger wagon minivan and a Suburban. He's towing his jet skis and he's got the cabin up north. Like, life has been good to him. God has blessed him. He's like, man, God, I am so blessed. Before you ask God for something, acknowledge who he is and then thank him. Thank him for his love. Thank him for his grace. Thank him for all the ways that he's blessed you. That's a great pattern. One of the things you could do this year, if you've never done so before, is to start a gratitude journal. I know many well-known um, figures and, and writers. Uh, Oprah is very famous for this. She did it for, I think, 20 years, every night. And, and basically what that is, is just you have a journal by your bedside. And I would just direct it towards God. And say, God, I'm thankful that today I have enough food to eat. God, I'm thankful that I was able to do laundry. Because that means I have little ones to take care of. God, thank you for this promotion at work. God, thank you for this. And, and just and as you cultivate that attitude of gratitude, as you write those things down, you can look back over those. But it's something you want to try for 2019. It's just, it's just to be really intentional about thanking God for all his blessings. And when we are intentional, when we're writing those things down, man, we realize how blessed that we are. Uh, number three, 
Jacob's going to ask in faith. He's going to ask in faith. In verse 11, he says, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. He's praying, God, deliver me. I need some saving. Maybe that's what you need to pray today. God, I need you to show up. I need you to deliver me. Jacob's praying for God to save the women and the children. And finally, we see in his narrative that Jacob is speaking about someone more than just himself. He's learning what it means to be a man. He's taking responsibility for the women and children. Character and masculinity are built through responsibility. See, 20 years ago, Jacob had no wife, no kids, no job, no business. But now, there's more to Jacob than just Jacob. He's becoming a man. He's becoming a patriarch. And you, he's carrying the weight of that responsibility. Saying, God, I need you to deliver my wives, my children. Verse 12, but you said, I will surely do you good. And make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. But Jacob's being very honest with God. In a very respectful way, though, he's reminding God of all the promises that God has made to him. When you pray, it's okay to remind God, God, you gave me this dream. You gave me this vision. God, you said that you would protect me, that you would take care of me. I'm, I'm reminding you of that. I'm reminding you of, of those truths that you spoke in my heart. That's okay. In a respectful way to remind God of what he has spoken to you in the past. Now, what happens after Jacob finishes praying? Does he get this big sign from heaven, like, God, your email has been received, right? Does he, does, he, does he know that his prayers have been heard, that God's going to show up and protect him? No. Jacob just has to continue to walk forward in faith that God has heard him. And, that, that, and he just, he's unsure of the unknown. He's going to step out of faith, trusting that God is going to deliver him. Verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Now the first act is closed, and now we get the second act. This is one of my favorite stories. And we're going to see that Jacob goes all UFC and starts wrestling with the pre-incarnate Jesus. And I love this story. We see that Jacob started with prayer, and the second thing we see is we can learn from Jacob is to keep holding on. Keep holding on. Maybe this morning you walked in here. Man, sickness has got you down. Or, or job loss. Or relationship strife. And you're ready to give up. You're ready to let go. I believe God wants you to keep holding on. Keep holding on to his promises. Keep holding on to his truths. Keep holding on to what he's spoken to you. And now the scene shifts. And, and Jacob is all alone. The truth is, often God does some of his best work when we're alone. Community is so important. We grow in community in small groups and gather together on a Sunday morning. But there's something that God does when it's just us and God. When we're just even alone and everything else is stripped away. That's when God can get in and do some work in our hearts. Maybe at this new year, you want to, maybe you've never done this before, it, 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 it's schedule some kind of spiritual retreats. Where you go overnight somewhere. I mean, simple as a book in a hotel room by yourself, unplugging the TV, maybe turn off the internet and just praying. Maybe it's going into a cabin. Maybe it's just 
spend a couple hours alone. Where you can be intentional and say, okay, God, this is new to me. I'm going to be alone with you. What is it you want to speak to me? And pray these prayers. God, search me. God, change me. God, send me. We're going to see, as Jacob's all alone, God's going to show up. Verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, I think about this. This is like your worst nightmare, right? Like, you're 100 years old. Like, you get up to go to the bathroom, and some guy clocks you in the back of the head, right? Like, that's Jacob. Like, out of nowhere, some guy, and they're going to wrestle now, you know, from like midnight until the break of day. Up until now, Jacob hasn't been much of a man, but Jesus is going to show up. He's going to rough up Jacob a little bit and turn him into a man. See, oftentimes, the presence of God is not like a spot, okay? It's like a guy, Jesus shows up in a muscle shirt, he's going to rough, rough up a hundred-year-old man, and teach him to, to, to man up a little bit. He's going to press with him. He's going to show him some stuff. What I love is that Jesus humbles himself to get on Jacob's level, so he can wear Jacob out. Jacob's going to raise 12 sons. Jesus is going to need him to toughen up a little bit. This is what dads do with their boys. We get down on their level. I wrestle with my kids. I, I teach them to fight and toughen up. And I'm using what strength, you know, I'm teaching them to use their strength in a good way. And that's what Jesus is doing here with Jacob. Men, we have to be strong. If we want to raise kids and love a woman and serve God, we have to have strength. We have to have courage. Verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's head was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. They fight all night long. And then Jesus in one week just kind of touches Jacob's hip. And now Jacob has to walk for a limb for the rest of his life. And Jesus shows, does show Jacob, hey man, like I could have crushed you at any point. Like with one move, I took you up. But I humbled myself down to toughen you up to work with you. And Jacob's going to walk with a limb for the rest of his life. And every time he limps, he remembers God could have crushed him. But instead, he made me a man. He loves me, and I'm blessed to be his son. I know I'd rather walk with the limp, having been touched by God, than running after the wrong things. And I can tell you, there's so many times in my life where, after my encounter with Jesus, I walked with the limp because I was running after something, and Jesus was like, no. And sometimes God has to intentionally Get us to slow down. To see things that he wants us to see. If you pray this prayer, God change me. You may walk with a limp. Maybe it's not a physical limp, but you will walk changed. You will see things differently. You've been marked. You've been changed by God. Verse 26. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here's the thing. Jacob's hurting. His hips have been touched. Hold on to God even when you're hurting. Hold on to God even when there's pain, even when you feel like giving up. Hold on to God. Jacob has his hip out of the socket. He's in pain, but he's saying, I may be hurting, I may be hobbling, I may be old, but I'm not going to let you go. I'm sick of pretending. I'm sick of posing. I'm not going to let go. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob says, I, I've been grasping all my life. I've been reaching after heels. I've been trying to get blessed. But now I'm holding on to the one who truly has the power to bless me. I was holding on to Esau when I was born. And now I'm holding on to the one that's greater than Esau. The one who knows me and all my junk and all my filth, but is still here with me. As the sun comes up, I'm not holding on to statuses. I'm not holding on to wealth or success. I'm going to hold on to Jesus. Verse 27, he said to him, what is your name? And he said, 
Jacob is probably thinking, hey, like you, you broke my hip, right here all night, and now you want to know my name? <laughs> but if you remember, if you grew up, if you read the story, this isn't the first time someone asks Jacob his name. Many years ago, 20 years ago, his dad blind and getting old and he's going to give his blessing. And Jacob pretends to be someone else. He puts on a mask. Puts on some fur to be like his scary brother. And then when his father says, Who are you? He says, I'm Esau. And he gets blessed, but not as himself. He gets blessed as Esau. But see, God can't bless your mask. And so Jacob is finally sick of running, sick of hiding, sick of posing. He says, I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the heel grabber. He's thinking, I'm out here all alone with this man. I can admit who I am. I'm Jacob. And once Jacob admits who he is and doesn't pretend to be someone else, that's when Jesus can bless him. That's when Jesus can give him a new identity. Verse 28, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Once Jacob admits his true nature and real name, that's when God can give him a new name and a new identity. See, God says your identity doesn't come in your successes, but in your struggles. Aren't you glad that God gives us a new name? God tells each of us, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, I will call you righteous. I will call you holy. I'll call you pure. I call you beloved. Jacob gets a name change. He doesn't just get a new name, he gets a new identity. See, Jacob meant heel grabber, meant deceiver. You know what Israel means? It means triumphant with God. He goes from the heel grabber, the deceiver, to one who is triumphant with God. Jesus is telling him, yeah, you got fat lip, you're dirty from wrestling all night, you're going to walk with a limp, but now you have your dignity, you have your courage, a new identity, a new name. And I believe today God wants you to hold on to hold on to him. Don't let go. And finally, number three, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. That if you have submitted your life, you bowed the knee to Jesus, the Bible tells us that we get a new name, we get a new identity, that we get the resume, the righteousness of Christ, a new family, the old has gone, the new has come. But years from now, Jacob passes away, and 400 years go by, one of his descendants, Moses, is going to bump into a burning bush and meet his God. Let's read that in Exodus 3, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is your name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Now, if I was writing the script, I would say the God of Israel, right? Because that's Jacob's new name. That's his new identity. I'm the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac, the God of Israel. And that's Jacob's good side, right? If 
you're God, you want to make yourself known. Don't you want to be the God, the guy who's changed after his wrestling match? But he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered for all generations. God says to Moses, and he says to you today, that I am the God of Jacob too. I'm the God of that part of you. You don't want anyone to see. God says, I'm not just God of your victories. I'm God of your struggles. I'm also God of your defeats. He's the God of the hopeless and the skeptics and the desert places and the hard times. What's interesting is when you read the rest of the book of Genesis, you think that from then on out, it always referred to Jacob as Israel. But sometimes the Bible refers to him as Israel. Sometimes the Bible refers to him as Jacob. See, even when you get a new identity, a new nature in Christ, there are times you still slip up. There are times you still struggle. But God never lets you do it. And in those struggles, when we fall down, when we mess up, we need to remember whose we are. That we're not defined by our sins and our struggles, the way we fall down. All the ways that we aren't adequate, that we fail to measure up, as husbands, as fathers, as mothers, as wives. Instead, we rest in the knowledge of who's we are. That God loves us no matter what we do, no matter what's been done to us, no matter what mistakes we've made. There's a movie that came out a number of years ago called Blood Diamond. I wouldn't necessarily recommend the whole movie. Rated R. You can see it if you want. Um, but it's a story of, of kind of the Ugandan crisis where these warlords were stealing children and training them to be child soldiers. It's a very emotional movie. And so this father tracks down his son to help a friend and rescues his son. But his son has done horrible things. Because these warlords make these kids just do awful things in order to brainwash them. But I think this is such a, a beautiful picture of our father who looks at us with love. And so we should have a short clip from that movie. Uh, Jimmy, you can go ahead and roll that. Solomon. What are you doing? Dear! Nyangbe! Nyangbe! What are you doing? of the proud Mende tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister Nyanda. And the new baby, 
cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who wants no one but you. Hmm? I know they made you do bad things. You're not a bad boy. I am your father. Who loves you. And you will come home with me and be my son again. enough 